these languages. <laughs> Have a good laugh like we did today. It's fun to learn a language. It makes you feel good in your heart and in your mind and your soul. Helps you to reconnect with your spirit, and that's a good thing. Always a good thing. Yeah, All so right. the address is 285 East 5th Avenue, Vancouver. That's right. And is there anything else that we can share with the listeners? Any more news? Any more <laughs> gossip? Oh, Friendship Center, once again, every Tuesday night, which is today, you can go and sit with powwow drummers and dancers as they grass dance and do traditional women's dance and the jingle dress dance. You know, it's really beautiful. They're all getting ready for the powwow trail. During the summer, all the powwow dancers go on this powwow trail all across Canada into the United States. And that's how they make their money. They compete with each other. You know, team dances, grass dancers. And they win. They win money. And, you know, that's good. It's like building up their resume. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think the in the old days, the, the Aboriginal people were business-minded. That's right. And uh, they earned things. They earned things. They earned um, They earned their names. They earned their... Um, <laughs> their place in their society. Place. Yeah. Um, if they want to have status, then they, they learn... Uh, how to be a chief, a princess, and um, so um, our financial page probably might look similar to present-day financial uh, spreadsheet. Mm. <laughs> So if you haven't yet uh, had that experience, we recommend you go check it out and get involved, right? That's right. Yeah, definitely go check it out. Wake up your soul. That's the plural of Gyuksu. is singular for wake up. Lugusu is plural. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we have all these structures that are that are uh, ancient structures, but in the English as well. Yeah, it's amazing. And just learning from you today, I've learned so much, and I think I even want to come to your class now. Well, you're most welcome. And that's another thing, you know, even if Kitsanok is not your language, come. All right, we have a call-in from Cliff White, and he's on the phone right now. He's here to tell us about the Friendship Center activities. Hello, Cliff. Hello. Hi, welcome to Co-op Radio. Sorry for... um, Being late? Being late. (laughs) Being on Indian time? (laughs) It's okay. It's 1.15.
Arts Report for June 11th, 2014. Tonight on the show, we have Naomi Steinberg to talk about the Vancouver Storytelling Festival. Also, we have Christina Andriola from Shift Theatre in the studio. And I will tell you what's happening at the Kingsgate Mall, the Sun Yat-sen Gardens, and talk about the open house at the Pacific Cinematheque. Stay tuned at 6 p.m. for all ears. Thanks for listening. I'm your host for tonight, Sarah Lapsley, and we're here with Sahar, our lovely intern, who's going to be co-hosting next week while I'm away. Yeah, it's so exciting. Yay! It is exciting. It's exciting for me to have a week off as well. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I'll see some art stuff in Calgary. So that was the new Pornographers, their new song, Brill Bruisers, kind of like a prequel thing uh, for their album coming out. But I was thinking, you know, I kind of just got the song title, like, the Brill Building is a famous building in New York where professional songwriters like Lou Reed and Carol King wrote famous songs. So their job was to go in nine to five and write hit songs. So by referencing that, they're kind of saying, we really, we write lots of hit songs. We kind of kick ass at writing hit songs. So that's true, but it's also a little bit, I don't know. It's a little, it's, it's self-celebratory anyways. Um, but thanks for tuning in. We've got a couple great guests today. Lots of cool stuff happening around town as usual. Um, and yeah, I just found out in early July about I'm going to be in the Leaping Thespians Butch and Femme Fashion Show celebrating 100 years of lesbian fashion. So when Megan was our host, we did a lot, a lot of coverage of queer programming, sort of just gotten away from that a little bit and want to make sure we're doing a lot of diverse programming and uh, I found out about the fashion show they're like we need models and I'm like I can model so I'm gonna be on the catwalk wearing different outfits like like a manly suit but also like 50s pinup girl and then an all leather outfit so it's gonna be an awesome night um, I think it's at a club down in the west end so I will keep you posted that's July 1st and 2nd so yeah we'll be talking it is, yeah. It's like my dream of being a model, which, like, of course, I'd never realize, you know, but now it's realized, so I'm going to practice catwalking at home <laughs> so I don't embarrass myself. Um, so, yeah, one of the perks of the Arts Report is sometimes you get hooked into doing cool stuff. Um, and we do have a great team on board here. Let us know if you want to join CRTR and participate. Sahar's doing a great job. And talk to Rohit a little bit about taking more on co-hosting, which is really awesome. So really will free me up to work on my thesis. Dear God, help me with my thesis. It's like I'm at the bottom of a mountain staring up at the thesis. So let's get started. The Shift Theater Society. Hello. Hi, this is Hi. Christina. Hi. Thank you so much for coming in. I know it's kind of a long haul to yeah. come up to UBC. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Definitely. Yeah, it's. I've been here a couple times before. So, but the Student Union Building, like I've never been here, but these, you have some swanky digs here. Yes, well, <laughs> and soon it's going to be even swankier when we move into the new building. 
So Megan, our former arts director and host, has been talking about shift theater for a long time. So it's been in the works all year, I guess. Yeah, we do this every year, the One Act Festival. Um, it's always in June. It's In the past couple of years, it's been in Coquitlam and in Vancouver. And now this year, we're exclusively in Vancouver at the Cult. Okay, what's the Coquitlam connection? Yeah, the Coquitlam connection. Um, Nick, our artistic managing director, is from Coquitlam. And actually, I am as well. So um, Nick went to high school in Coquitlam and started shift after he left high school. Oh, really? Yeah, so started in Coquitlam, started with some other theater makers there, and brought the one act to the Tri-Cities. And then um, I had heard, I had been um, involved with shift just for the last year, but I've known about them for, since they've started their festival. Wow. Um, that's my new band name, the Coquitlam Connection, because <laughs> I work in Coquitlam. Um, yeah, it's nice yeah. out there. Yeah, it's great. We've been at the, they were at the Inlet Theater for a bit, and then the Evergreen Cultural Center last year. Um, it was split between the Evergreen and the Cult, and now now we're moving to Vancouver, and all, all of us on the staff and the board are, are in Vancouver primarily, well, the majority of the board. So it's nice to get into the Vancouver Vancouver community. Excellent. So mm-hmm. so it's a it's a theater company. Is the One Act Festival kind of the only thing that you do or do you do other no. productions in the year? Yeah, the One Act Festival is our signature event every year and we do produce a couple of other shows earlier on in the season. So usually we'll have a fall show and a spring show uh, before the One Acts and then culminating at the end of the season wow. with the One Act Festival. So yeah. So tell me about the One Act Festival. This is the seventh year? Mm-hmm. This is, yeah, this is the seventh year of the festival. We usually have, um, it's it's changed formats a couple of times within the last couple of years, but um, this year is the first time, like I said, we're exclusively in Vancouver and we're doing four nights. And so we have five shows and the five shows are on every single night. So we've built them so that you can have one after the other, after the other, take a little break and then come back, watch a couple more. Oh, okay. So all yeah. five nights are the same Yeah. with, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Five nights of the same program. Yeah. Four yeah. nights of five shows. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so the running time, I think it's just over a couple of hours, including the intermission. I, I may be wrong, but it's a nice nice evening of theater. And for the $20 ticket rate, for the $20 general, it's a great way to experience lots of up-and-coming um, work. Yeah, yeah. It, that would be great for you to go to, Sahar. Yeah, Check out the place. Yeah, yeah, we'd love to have you. That would yeah. be great. And there's more information on shifttheater.ca. Um, about the lineup of shows and uh, more about us and more about how you can get your tickets. And yeah, we're we're really excited for this year of the festival, mm-hmm. especially because um, not only are we exclusively in Vancouver, but this is the first year that we've had all of our plays adjudicated by a board of theater makers in Vancouver who have had some experience either either creating or producing new works. So they're not in the company. They're just mm-hmm. like peers. Yeah. And what's the purpose of the adjudication process? Uh, the adjudication process is to get... I think at the end of the day, it's to make sure that we have some new, uh, fresh... Um, feedback it's feedback yeah exactly some feedback yeah no it's good to get feedback I mean it's hard to get feedback sometimes but then you're like wow it totally opens up new possibilities yeah and you have someone to vet the the shows Mm -hmm. and someone to provide like you said the feedback both on um, the merit of the written work as well as envisioning how it could be staged and to make sure that we have a good variety of shows into the festival Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. excellent so tell me just about like this idea of the one act play versus a play with multiple acts like what's the advantage and disadvantage of that format yeah so we found that um, with most of our submissions, it's um, just that opportunity to have that quick, um, the the quick, easy to understand, um, fun to produce format of um, 
like with, without the intermission mm-hmm. and just have a story that you can follow from start to finish and then moving on to the next story. So you have a bunch of short stories, essentially, mm-hmm. that are being performed yeah. and presented on stage. Yeah, so it must have a tight arc of beginning mm-hmm. to end. Mm-hmm. And then it's nice. I mean, people's attention spans to a certain yeah, degree, exactly. right? It, <laughs> are increasingly shorter attention yes. spans. Yeah. Um, as the kind of... I want to talk to you more about what you do specifically, but yeah. you do a lot of the backstage stuff. Mm-hmm. So that must be quite a workload for you. You don't just yeah. get to set it up and then rest. Yeah, it's like exactly. you're changing a lot of changes throughout the evening. Yeah. So a couple of months of pre-production um, and meetings with all of our artists and some of which some of our shows are still in production and haven't been completely figured out yet. So that's always an interesting experience with, the what do you need versus what we can provide and it's an ongoing conversation Mm -hmm. and and in a way with those shows that are still developing you get to be a bit of a collaborator Mm -hmm. um, on the backstage side of things so if there's you know if you have two choices or one choice that you have to make and two options then you can provide your own feedback and kind of have do some um, technical dramaturgy in a way yeah kind of make do right be creative yeah yeah Yeah. have your influence and and kind of get into the mind of the artist to see what they want versus what you can provide yeah yeah so tell me about your role is as a producer Mm -hmm. and so what does that look like kind of what does a behind the scenes person do and how did you kind of my other question it's the double-barreled question which you're not supposed (laughs) to ask (laughs) like what influenced you to and what do you like about backstage work okay so um actually i'll answer your second one okay. first the thing that i love most about the backstage has to do with what i was just talking about um when somebody does have an issue you get to be both the problem solver and you get to have a little bit of artistic input and you um most of the time you get to engage in that conversation of what you're able to provide and what you'd like to see and what they'd like to see um and then the first question was about the producing. What did... <laughs> see, oh, no double-barreled questions. Double-barreled questions. Uh, kind of what does a behind-the-scenes person do? And what were your influences? Like, was there a moment mm. where you were like, I want to work? Did you... You know what I mean? Oh, People yeah, have those yeah. moments in life where they're yes. like, this is the moment I decided I oh, want to... right. Yeah. That uh, that's I, another, I just asked another double-barreled, <laughs> double-barreled question, question to be... Um, I don't know. What's the word? Flippant. All right. (laughs) I can take this one, though. Um, So the role of a producer, luckily we have um, multiple people on our staff working um, to make the festival, to make the festival and to make the festival a success. Um, But a producer is um, the marketing, the scheduling, the coordinating with the the um, the venue, making sure that we have all of our sponsors in line and that they're happy, taken care of, um, making sure that the artists know what's going on and that we have backstage crew um, and that everything is running smoothly. And at the end of the day, everything, everybody should be happy and um, hopefully we'll have um, a lot of patrons at, at the festival. For sure. Seeing the shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what... What for you was that moment that you got into it, or how did you get into it? Um, so I've known Nick for a while, okay, and uh, only recently did we have a conversation about the potential of joining Shift. Mm-hmm. I I've done some backstage training at Simon Fraser, and I've worked with a lot of um, homegrown small theater companies um, that just need some production help and a stage manager. And so after stage managing a few shows. Um, I saw that Nick was looking for a production manager and we connected and we clicked and now Nick and I finish each other's sentences. Oh, and you have, it's, yeah. the, it's that Coquitlam connection. It. <laughs> <laughs> I made her laugh. That's so she hit her head on the mic. Yay. Um, so what we mostly want to talk about is all the shows, the five shows. Yeah, we have a great contingent and a great um, section from... A lot of diff- we have a lot of different styles in this festival, uh, styles of work and from different practices of theater. So different types of training. You can see them all. We've had Scott Button on the show, 
So he wrote this play, Desiree, is that how you say it? Or Desire? Yeah, the double, you, you don't know. It's or, one of those poetic things yeah. where it's spelled different ways. It could be Desire or it could be Desiree. Mm-hmm. But a uh, street smart, smart young woman named Desiree is terrified. Her talent, the reason she was put on this planet, has dried up. Everyone's greatest fear, isn't it? After working as a professional surrogate for years, she's lost the ability to bear children before she could even have one for herself. It it turns a cautionary tale, a memoir, and a stand-up comedy routine. Desiree looks at how and why we have dreams and what happens when they don't come true. That looks good. Yeah. So how long is it? Like 45 minutes kind of thing? Um, It's a short show. It's one of the shorter ones in in our lineup. So anything else on that one? You'll just have to come, come and find see. out. Yeah, exactly. Scott Button is really good. Yeah, I'm seeing them in a few days, actually. Mm-hmm. We're, as part of a, a new marketing initiative that we're trying, we're doing interviews with all of our participants and all of the people behind the shows that will be presented. Um, and putting it online yeah, kind of thing? Yeah. yeah. That's a great idea. And mm-hmm. so the next one, PKD Work Show. What's yeah. that? Written by Daniel O'Shea. Yes. So it's a contingent of Simon Fraser alumni, and it's this this one's another one that's that's really really interesting. Um, I was just there this afternoon talking to them after their rehearsal, and it's uh, like the description says it's based on the works of Philip K. Dick, and so that's where PKD comes in. And then actually, work show it's. So the so PKD work show is literally a work show about Philip K. Dick. So it's a it's a work in progress, mm-hmm. essentially. Wow! So it's almost like like it's theater, but it's kind of something you might see as a conceptual art yeah. in a way as well, yeah, right? So, so lots so, of experimentation. And now, um, oh, I wish I had looked yeah, at this closer yeah. and got a little bit of information up about Philip K. Dick, science fiction author. Didn't he write stuff about horse racing and stuff as well? Yeah, and I was talking to the re- the playwright Dan O'Shea, and he had mentioned a Scanner Darkly and um, Blade Runner, and there was another one that he mentioned that I haven't seen yet. There was something about him, know. like something. Maybe I'll look it up later and talk about it. But there was something about him that was different or something unique. But anyways, it says here on March 2nd, 1974, Dick had a moment of existential revelation that was so complete and disorienting that he struggled to comprehend it for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. Wow. For the next 30 years. And so they take his notes and ideas and use that kind of as a starting point for the show and, and, and explore that. So that's totally awesome. Yeah. And, and also from the description, um, the struggling to follow his path down the rabbit hole is that it's, so it's that 30 year timeline and going through his, his mental process and, and trying to get into his head, but more, um, more of a, like a performative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's sort of like it takes on a life of its own, right? Yeah. As they start to kind of take off on his core idea. I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to have to go see it. Yeah. This next one, the after after party, waiting for Gordo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it sounds like a co- comedic two-hander. What's a two-hander? A two-person show. Okay. Yeah. Directed by Kayvon Kelly, a surreal play with shout-outs to Beckett and the Naked and the Famous. I know Beckett. I don't know the Naked and the Famous. Oh, they're <laughs> Although a, I like I the sound of it. An English band? Okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm, actually, I'm not sure where they're from. Maybe they're English. Maybe they're not. Um, Katie and Cheyenne, the, the writers and performers, um, have been in our festival before. Mm-hmm. And this um, Waiting for Gordo is a take on waiting for Godot. So from the synopsis, you have two girls um, who are waiting for Gordo after their after party in a, in an alley. And we'll just have to see how that, how that ends up. Hmm. And yeah. Have you, have you seen waiting for Godot? Or have you uh, read it? Or? I know what happens. <laughs> I know what happens. Have you, yeah. Sahar? No, I haven't. So it's, I haven't seen it. well, it's a famous play, 
And it's just two guys, and they're waiting for their friend, yeah. and they just sit there waiting, and he never comes. So they mm-hmm. they call it existential because it's just there's kind of no meaning. It's kind of depressing. Nothing ever happens. Yeah. It's a sense of yeah, just futility, I guess. But that's mm-hmm. all I know about it. But then it's supposed to be a metaphor for God, like that never comes or something. But um, <laughs> it's more yeah. like the boyfriends that never come. <laughs> um, but. Anyways, Naked and Famous are a band. Looks like a modern band that played Coachella 2014. So maybe when we're done, we'll play one to see you out and as we shift to our next guest. Okay, Uh, The Merchant of Showboat, written by Jason Sherman and directed by Kaylin Mechie. Anything about that? This one is the only synopsis for The Merchant of Showboat is... um, uh, I oh I might get this wrong. A a black man and a politician talk, and that's the only that's all you know about so it. So is it like a deliberate avoidance of a synopsis, or they or they just um, don't have it ready? I no I I think it's <laughs> I'm pretty sure Jason Sherman meant to have that as deliberate. Okay. Um, Kaylin Mechie is the artistic director of Psyche Theater. Okay. And. Uh, Merchant of Showboat is a Canadian piece, and actually, during the adjudication process, one of our adjudicators, Katrina Dunn, um, had mentioned I would drive across town to catch this show. Really? Yeah. So it's going to be good. And the last one of the five, I guess, is this time I get what I want. I like that they've made it in <laughs> <laughs> into an anacronym. T-T-I-G-W-I-W. Yeah, this one looks very interesting. A solo triumph of self in which the lead character, loosely based on me, not me, her, Jenica Grenke, confronts her hopes, dreams, and desires on a stage with a little help from the audience. And her fairy godmother slash stage manager. Is that you? No, not me personally. It's a stage manager. Her name is Carol McDonald. Okay. And she is affectionately known in the industry, or so I've heard, as C-Mac. Okay. And Carol and Jenica and their director, James, the, the three of them are a hoot. I was I there last know. week. Yeah, the promo photo for this is Jenica. Actually, her head is tilted to one side, and she's taking a bite out of the side of a full, uncut Black Forest cake. Yum. Yeah. <laughs> I like the single, depressed, unemployed, and perhaps slightly alcoholic in her tendencies. She comes mm-hmm. to grips with the realities of being a woman in her mid-20s. Yeah. And faces a few shortcomings in her life thus far. How about skip to mid-40s? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not unemployed, but uh, the rest, I don't know. That looks great. I'm going to come. Yeah. And maybe Sahara will come too. Yeah, yeah they all look really good and you have a very good website i must say oh that's a shout out to megan because um something else i criticized the website because i couldn't find things and and this is a great website yeah it's shifttheater.ca and the photo for the one act festival um was from a show that we did last year called where have all the lightning bugs gone Mm -hmm. and uh mike and jordan took a great photo and yeah um, yeah we've we've used it often it's so nice it's so fun must be so is this like a labor of love or is this your job your full-time job a little bit a little bit of a job Mm -hmm. um but mostly a labor of love for all of us yeah yeah, nice. It's, uh, doing theater in Vancouver is not always the most. Um, what am I trying to say? The like, lucrative. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to the Jesse Awards? Um, I maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure, but I know that Nick's um, Nick's girlfriend Stephanie Kong, who's a designer in the industry, has been nominated, and our own Stephanie Isaac. Okay. Who's just joined the staff. Um, both of them are nominated. Nice. So that's very exciting for us. Not in anything shipped related. However, we're excited to have them, to have Jesse nominees. Yes. On working Absolutely. With us. You should go yeah. if you can because it's a really fun night. I went last year. Oh, yeah. And tickets are available to purchase. Yes. It's not an invite Although only thing. We get to go for free if we nice. like <laughs> to cover that's it. Awesome. So many oh, I'll have to go. Um, well, you've been a five-star guest. Thank you oh, so much. Thank you. Yes, oh, you really even have. Even though I couldn't answer your double-barrel question. No, that is my I'm so my sorry. weakness and shortcoming as an interviewer. 
And but it was fun. The double barreled questions I were fun. I even have a notebook and a pen in front of me. Like, there's <laughs> no reason that <laughs> you were yeah. amazing. Oh, thank and you. Uh, so Shift Theater, the seventh annual one act festival. It's June 18th to 21st at the Cult. Tickets are 18 to 20 dollars. Um, so check it out at shifttheater.ca. And this was Christina Andriola, the, one of the producers. And uh, thank you so much. So we're going to play something by Naked and Famous. Awesome. Um, which is referenced in one of the plays, five plays per night at the shift. How about? Hmm. I would recommend Punching in a Dream. Okay. So, oh, you know it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a fan. Okay, this sounds good. Here's Naked and the Famous, Punching in a Dream. You're listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. The 37th Annual Vancouver Folk Music Festival comes to Jericho Beach Park July 18th to the 20th. Over 60 acts from Joan Baez, Andrew Bird, Amos Lee, and Mary Lambert to Ozo Motley and Mauritania's Nura Mintsemali. There's a world of amazing music coming to your own backyard. The Vancouver Folk Music Festival. Early bird ticket deadline is June 14th. For more information, go to thefestival.bc.ca. Whoever said money can't buy you friends obviously wasn't a member at CITR. 
When you become a member, you get the Friends of CITR card with incredible discounts in the Main Street area at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Lucky's Comics, Neptune Records, RX Comics, Red Cat Records, the Regional Assembly of Text, the Wallflower Modern Diner, and Woo Vintage Clothing. To find out more, visit us in room 233 of the sub on the UBC campus or go online to citr.ca. Hi, we're back on the Arts Report, and you are listening to CITR 101.9 FM. So let's talk about something else. I'm just trying to get the phone going, Um, and so we're going to be talking to Naomi in a a minute or two. Um, So wanted to talk about some an event that at the the open house of the Cinematheque. I said I'd talk about it. Um, so Pacific Cinematheque is really great. I cover a lot of films that they do and they're having an open, open house. Um, and so it's Saturday, June 14th, and there'll be a free screening of Stanley Kubrick's satirical masterwork, Dr. Strangelove with complimentary popcorn, plus tours of their film archive, projection booth and library, a movie poster auction and family activities, um, so bring your kids, uh, set up by the education department. It can fi- uh, coincides with Film Lovers Month, and it's a month-long fundraiser for the Cinematheque. So they say, go and have the best popcorn in town. I don't agree that it's the best popcorn in town. Uh, but I think you should definitely go. Sixth Annual Open House, Pacific Cinematheque, All Ages, Free Event, Stanley Kubrick's Satirical Masterwork, Dr. Strangelove, Free Popcorn. So definitely check that out. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start talking about the Storytelling Festival. And so it's on very soon. I've been checking it out. And uh, Naomi Steinberg, the executive director, is coming on the show. But we're having some technical problems with the phone. So what I'm going to do is play a little link of a story that she's created and told. And then we're going to get her on the phone and talk about what makes a good story, why storytelling is so important to people, and about some of the events that are happening at the festival. So here she is, Naomi Steinberg, telling a really cool story. Once upon a time... There was a king and a queen who had three beautiful daughters. Now the king found husbands for the two eldest daughters. They were rich and powerful princes. While he was looking for a suitable match for his youngest daughter, the princess was out walking one day and she was walking in the forest and she met a man. And she fell totally in love with him, and she wanted to marry him. So she went to her father, the king, and said, Dad, I've met someone that I really want to marry. Her father said, Oh, who is it? The youngest princess said, Well, it's just this guy. It's this guy that I met in the forest. And the king said, The woodsman? You want to marry the woodsman? Are you mad? And the youngest princess said, No, really, I want to marry the woodsman. And her father looked at her and said, If you marry that woodsman, you will no longer be my daughter. And there was this huge fight, and they went at it. And you know how things get out of hand? Well, the king ended kicking the daughter out of the castle. And so she went to live poor but happy with the woodsman in the forest. Now, the very next day, the king woke up blind. And he called for all the best doctors in all the lands to come and try to heal his blindness. And they all came, but none of them could do anything for his blindness. Until one old woman came. And she looked at the king and she said, King, I know what it is that ails you. And there's only one thing that can heal you, but it's an impossible task. 
What you need are leaves that grow on the tree which grows in the land of no return. The only problem is, nobody has ever come back from the land of no return. And off she went. The king called his two eldest son-in-laws to his side, and he charged them with going to find these leaves. And he said, go and go and find me those leaves so that I can see again. If you choose not to go, I'll cut off your head. If you go and you return without the leaves, I'll cut off your head. However, if you go and you bring back the leaves which grow on the tree which grows in the land of no return, I will divide up the kingdom in three and give one third to each of you. So you better go and you better be successful. And to help you on your journey, I'll give you some horses and I'll give you some money and I'll give you some food. Now go. And so those two princes, they went. Before they got very far, they came to a village. And they were asking in that village for the way to the land of no return. And all the villagers there told them horrible stories, told them about how, how terrible a land the land of no return was and that nobody had ever come back from there and that they really shouldn't go forward because they would immediately, certainly, meet their death. Now, the princes were in a bit of a quandary. They couldn't go back to the kingdom because they knew that they would be killed. They couldn't go forward because they knew that they would die. They made the only choice they knew how to make, and they stayed there, and they opened up an inn. Meanwhile, the youngest daughter, the youngest princess, who was living in the forest, she heard about her father's blindness, and she wanted to help him. And so she turned to her husband, the woodsman, and she asked him to go and try to find these leaves. But he said, I have no horse, I have no money, I have no food. How is it that I should make this journey? And so the youngest princess, she went to her mother, the queen, to ask for help. And the queen agreed to help, and she gave them a skinny horse, and a crust of bread, and a little bit of money. And so the woodsman went. Now, again, before too long, he arrived in that same village where the two eldest princes had passed. And there he too asked for the way to the land of no return. And the villagers gave the same answers. They said, oh, oh, we don't know the way. And oh, even if you, you don't want to go there, it's a terrible place. It's full of beasts and nobody, I mean, nobody ever comes back from there. He was determined, though, and he kept asking, and he kept asking. And so finally the villagers noticed that he was determined. And they said, fine, there is somebody who can tell you the way. He's a giant, though, and he eats people. He lives just outside the village, just further on down the road. And so the woodsman went. Sure enough, the road went on and turned around a bend and... When he got around the bend, there in front of him was this enormous castle with a huge door. Any normal person in front of that door would have trembled, would have immediately turned around and run for their lives. But not him. He approached the door and he knocked on it. There was a big sound, a big hollow thumping sound. And the door opened and there was the giant's wife. And she looked at the woodsman and she said, What are you doing here? Don't you know that my husband eats people? And the woodsman said, Yeah, I know, but I have to ask him the way to the land of no return. And the giant's wife saw how determined he was, and so welcomed him into the house, and gave him some tea and some cookies, and then hid him under the bed. So that when her husband came home, he wouldn't immediately eat him up. When the giant came home, though, he... sniffed around and immediately knew that the woodsman was hiding underneath the bed. So he told his wife to pull the man from underneath the bed. But the woodsman slipped out faster than the wife could grab him. 
And he looked at the giant and he said, Giant, you're my host. I'm your guest. You can do with me whatever you want. I only ask that you listen to my story first. And the giant was quite taken aback. Nobody had ever dared anything like that before. And so he said, Okay, you can tell me your story. And so the woodsman told the giant everything that had happened, how the king had lost his sight and how the youngest princess wanted to help her father, so had requested that the woodsman go on this quest, and how the woodsman needed to know the way through to the land of no return so that he could collect the leaves which would cure the king's blindness, and how he had been told in the village that the giant was the only one who knew the way Hi, this is Sarah. We're, li- we're listening to the Arts Report. We've got Naomi Steinberg on the line. Are you there? Yes, I am. Hi. Hi. So not sure if you're coming through the board exactly. Sorry about our technical problems. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for having uh, me and the Storytelling Festival on here with you. Definitely. I loved your story. Thank you. Glad you enjoyed. I did. So tell us a little bit about the association, the Storytelling Association. You bet. So the Vancouver Society of Storytelling was founded in uh, 1969, actually, when a group of storytellers got together and discovered that it was a whole lot of fun to share stories between us, actually, that it wasn't just something for kids. So they put together this association in order to be able to produce an international festival, and that was... Uh, 20 more than years ago, and now we're about to head into our 20th edition. Excellent. So tell us why you think sort of stories are important in across cultures, you know, forever. Like, wh- what is it about storytelling that people are drawn to? Yeah, I think uh, storytelling basically is what humans are hardwired to do. Uh, we all take birth, live our lives and then eventually come to the end of our lives. So there's a beginning, middle, and end, and we understand things sequentially. We're, we're caught in time, if you will. So, but then beyond that, we also all experience depth. There's, uh, for each one of us, a world of sight, sound, and taste, and experience, and emotion. That and best storytelling. So whether it's our personal narrative, our, our worth, and our role within our or whether it's a traditional folk and fairy tale told for entertainment and for education, if it's a foundational myth, um, if it's historical narrative, um, or even um, I would uh, argue or submit that mainstream media or all media um, advertising companies are all busy telling a story um, in order to put forward an idea. Excellent. So what kind of what makes a good story, do you think? I guess at first it depends on your audience, you know, like there's a willingness to share. There's a certain um, light in the human experience. And then if we want to move to a professional or or context, you know, because I would say that everybody's a storyteller and that everybody can tell a story, a voice and a perspective. But if we're moving within um, or into a professional arena or context, there's a certain quality of voice, a willingness to sing. There's a crafting of images. Uh, and, uh, one uh, strives to become a master of eloquence, so a turn of phrase a particularly captivating image, uh, depth and complexity of emotion, or even a simplicity um, that is ephemeral and poignant. Um, Those are all things that that make a good story. Um, It'll probably go on for a while. Wow. Mm -hmm. So um, it starts on Friday, June 13th, with the first event, The Tallest Tales and Reddest Noses. And you're emceeing that event, is that right? Yeah, I'm actually co-emceeing. I had a really lovely 
um, a little afternoon jam session with um, the outgoing vice president of our board of directors. So uh, Julia Lane, she's a PhD candidate as well as a clown, and she's a bit of a class clown. So we're going to be co-emceeing the tallest tale at his noses, and um, yeah, it was a whole lot of fun jamming on some of the history of Friday the 13th, some of the notion, you know, what what's captured within a cabinet of curiosity, all that. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun on Friday night. It looks really good. And Wendy Charbonneau is one of the storytellers, a Squamish elder and hmm. a direct descendant of Chief George Capilano. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's... Um, Geez, I feel really quite uh, glad to have Wendy in my life. She's somebody, you know, I call her up and we marvel on uh, the beauty of the sunset or, you know, she slips in a little teaching about a a plant or, you know, she asks me how my flowers are growing. And she's also a master storyteller, so she's invited all the time to share stories and, and, um, you know, from her I've, I've heard the story of the Two Sister Mountains story that she'll be telling on the Friday night. So, yeah, I feel really lucky that I get to, um, um, I guess, have her not only as a professional colleague, but also as somebody that I I count on as a, as a friend as well. Oh, wonderful. And also Todd Wong. He's sort of famous for his character, Toddish McWong, like marrying Scottish history and Chinese history. <laughs> You know, Gung right. Haggis Fat Choi is his... That's right, that's right. His ancestors who were neither gold diggers nor railway builders. So that's a little bit of a, I guess, a taste or an insight into another aspect of what's really important to me around storytelling is that we really can carry and share our identities within that. and We can blow preconceptions apart. So, you know, that, that little notion there that his ancestors were neither gold diggers nor um, nor railway builders, you know, that's his Chinese ancestry and his identity asking to be understood as, as more complex than just those two kind of stereotypes. So, yeah, uh, yeah I've never actually myself heard uh, Todd tell, but I've, I'm, I've spoken to him on the phone and I'm excited. And he also has kind of a long-standing relationship with the VSOS, with the Vancouver Society of Storytelling as well. I know that before my time, before I got involved with the organization, um, he... Um, there was a bit of the Gung Haggis Fat Choi crossover happening between uh, the, the Storytelling Society and, and his society. And and so because it's our 20th year, this anniversary, I, I did a little bit of research and sort of ferreting about to find some of our, our kind of star tellers from the past, and there he was. And I thought, well, how fun would that be? And he's going to be bringing his accordion as well, which... We'll add a nice twist wow. to the evening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's quite a few events. So from the th- June 13th to the 16th. So you can mm-hmm. check it out at VancouverStorytelling.org. But I was interested, and there's quite a, a range of different uh, things for people. But one of the other ones I was interested in was the panel discussion on Sunday, June 15th, 3 to 5 p.m. at SFU Woodward's uh, Storytelling for Social Change. And you're part of that one, too. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. That's really something that um, you know. It's it's a well known fact that any artistic director of an organization is going to bring their personal uh, flavor and um, particular interest. So something I'm very interested in is the um, applied aspects of storytelling. So. Um, the Storytelling Society, we produce an international festival every two years, and then in the in between years, we'll explore community engagement. Um, and in the past few years, we've had the opportunity to really kind of delve into some of the ways that storytelling can support uh, grassroots initiatives and, and uh, social change and advocacy work. And, and it's an interesting challenge. You know, as a professional storyteller myself, I'm deeply committed to orality and to what is very much an, an ephemeral art. It's UNESCO qualifies storytelling as an intangible cultural heritage. So if this is indeed true, that, that what we have is a very powerful tool that's age-old, you know, eons-old and um, felt and used around the world, then, but it's intangible, it's ephemeral, how does one then apply it to, to social change, right? And uh, 
So we've we've had some really interesting explorations, namely, um, well, among them there was the St. George Rainway, and uh, for that initiative to help uh, sort of visualize that story, we built a storyteller's bench. So it was that notion that storytelling, we always need a teller, we need a listener, and that exchange needs to happen in place. So a storyteller's bench is a physical place, and serves as a reminder of, of one, the possibility of sharing. You know, you sit on the bench and you share. But two, there's also um, sort of memory triggers, if you will. You know, why should the bench be built out of cobs? Why is it located where it is? What are the different aspects and elements that go into it? And each one of those can serve as an entry into... Um, a deeper narrative and can therefore, um, as an even uh, greater extension, be applied to curriculum. So it has um, direct benefits to environmental education, for example. And, and for me, the very tangible, very real, very effective um, methods for, for advocating for, for social change in, on particular issues. Excellent. Well, it looks like a wonderful festival. And mm, thank, thank you. you so much for your contribution. I loved your story and for all the really interesting things you had to say. Um, so, oh, yeah, thank you. Thanks very much for, for giving us a little spot on the air here. For, oh, for, for sure. That. It looks like an excellent program and you can check it out at VancouverStorytelling.org. So thanks, Naomi. Cheers. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Hi, we're back on the Arts Report. We just have a couple of minutes left. I wanted to mention another event. And I liked how she talked about um, the ephemeral and intangible nature of storytelling because that reminds me of an event that's coming up um, that I've been keeping in mind to talk about on the show. And it's at the Dr. Sun Yat-sen's Chan... uh, Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden, and it's called Sacred Sands, Grain of Truth, and it starts tonight, actually it started today at 10.30 a.m., and it goes through to June 17th at 5.30 p.m. So it there's a full schedule at VancouverChineseGarden.com. So the garden offers a rare opportunity to watch and participate with the Tibetan Buddhist monks in the creation of the Pema Santig Mandala, which means the secret essence of the lotus. So it's the first time ever that the sand mandala has created, been created outside of Tibet. And if you've seen those sand mandalas that they make, they're multicolored. Uh, they're absolutely incredible. So... It's a two-dimensional map representing a celestial view of the universe. So they make it by meticulously laying down different colored grains of semi-precious stones ah, to form intricate patterns. And I mean, they're phenomenal looking. Um, Just the detail-orientedness of them, often taking weeks to complete. The one they're working on will be completed in a week. And they're sort of an iconic part of the Tibetan artistic and spiritual culture. But what makes it interesting is they... They they build this and and then they destroy it immediately after they complete it. I mean, yeah, I guess you're smiling, mm-hmm. <laughs> Sarah's smiling, and it's like this 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 gut wrenching kind of reminder of the transitoriness of the universe and the intangibility and ephemeral nature of matter and life. And so, personally, I find it upsetting because I like things to last. Um, but they do it every year, right? Yeah, yeah, good. yeah. Good to see it every year. So they're like, you know, deal with it. <laughs> Everything changes, but maybe there's some comfort in that as well. So I know all ears. Oh, and I just also wanted to mention too quickly uh, the and this is something maybe Ola can go to or you too, Sahar. Really interesting um, at the Kingsgate Mall. Some really smart, cool artist person. Has, have you ever been to the Kingsgate Mall? No, where is that? It's like a weird little mall. Um, it's like this weird, lame little mall with not a single good store. It's sort of on Main. It, it's like it's like the uncoolest mall in the world. Okay. Um, and it's like Main and Kingsway kind of thing. Okay, that's fine. There's nothing good in this mall except for some people might go to the liquor store. 
Um, but this artist has made this kind of cool event. A, a KCY is hosting a series of events at Kingsgate Mall for the month of June. So almost every day there's something. Stand-up comedy, open mics, uh, different performance art, a tent shop, mall portraits, tarot readings all day on the 14th. So if you go to www.front.bc.ca, so that's it's put on by the Western Front, so I'll just say that again, www.front.bc.ca, you can check out all of the cool things, Kingsgate happenings at the mall. Um, so she's made this cool juxtaposition between neat art and the uncool mall so yeah i'm drawn to it i think it's really cool so if someone has a chance to go maybe we could talk about it next time um so she's doing that i guess for a full week of events so be sure to check that out is it in the evening um let's see no it's more like daytime because the mall closes oh right at 